Welcome back to our podcast, which we call Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And it's closer than you think. Just visit safehouserehab.com to learn more. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. It's getting crazier and more deadly than we could have ever imagined just 10 years ago with opioids and now fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than heroin. A while ago, I noticed that there was no podcast dedicated solely to talking to that one super important group without whom many addicts would never make it. And I realized then that I had the ammo to blow up some of these myths so that nothing but the truth survived. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, then this podcast is for you. If your loved one is driving you crazy and stealing your money, your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. And if you're feeling rage and shame and your self-esteem has been flushed down the tubes, this podcast is for you too. Hi, I'm Bruno J. And welcome back to Busting Addiction and Its Myths. This is Lucky Episode 13. We call this episode, Treatment Doesn't Work, or Does It? I hope the headline got your attention, which is exactly the point. I'm also going to bring back my young genius friend, producer of this podcast, and a recovering man, Tony. Welcome back, Tony. So, let me start answering the question by going backward just a little, and let us consider this first. And the question was, Treatment Doesn't Work, or Does It? Please remember that I intend this podcast to be a friendly tutorial about addiction with the main audience as the family members of the addict or alcoholic who's still using or relapsing and the families beside themselves as to what do I do now. Families may be getting advice from all quarters if they've disclosed what's going on at home and they also end up entertaining all sorts of myths about the disease which is why it's important for me to bust them so that, quote, only the truth remains. So one of these myths is the idea that treatment doesn't really work. I hear that often, and one of the reasons is that many of the family members who believe this myth are educated, sophisticated, affluent people who, just like the addict in the family, begin to mimic the beliefs of the addict because they put up similar defenses against the known truths about the disease. Now, of course, treatment doesn't work if you don't do the work. Saying treatment doesn't work, as I've said before, is like blaming the gym if you're out of shape. They see that a famous actress is back out there again for the umpteenth time or that a singer saying, is saying, no, no, I ain't, ain't going back to rehab. The grown-up fact is that treatment doesn't do anything for you that you are not prepared to do for yourself. The first thing treatment does to you is to force you to be honest with yourself. You've been lying to yourself that you're okay or you can handle this on your own. And if you believe that, it's time you smash that myth to pieces. I'm now speaking to the addict. If you get that's how we need to talk to the addict directly. So this is where I bring in Tony's perspective. Tony, what do you say to people who say treatment doesn't work? I will also want you to comment on what it takes to maintain a clean and sober life, but we'll we'll do that later in this episode. So take it away. So what do I think? on treatment not working. I strongly think that treatment helps, encourages and points individuals, addicts 
in the right direction in the way that it's composed, structured and just pushed. It's not easy, but to say treatment does not work, I don't think that is fair. The, now, based around that question, the, the treatment, it will work. However, I think the most important thing is the individual wants or has to have that desire to want to move in that direction. If the individual doesn't, the whole aspect of treatment and everything that's going to be introduced, guided into this individual's life, um, they, they're going to reject it. It's not, it's not going to work. And it has to be a commitment from the person themselves. Okay, so how did you, what, how did you feel about treatment before you went into treatment? Did you go through different phases of belief about treatment and its effectiveness? I had no idea about treatment, in, in all honesty. And I thought it was some sort of a prison where I would be punished okay. for my behavior. Okay. So you had, there was a myth you had in your head about what treatment was like, right? I had no idea. Right. And okay. I had my own... Uh, okay. So what changed your mind? What happened to change your mind? Being put into treatment, I began to understand what treatment is all about. However, I didn't quite fully get what, any, what, it, what it was in order to help me okay. with my problems until I started working it. Okay. Well, that's otherwise, a, that's it was a critical just, point, right? Otherwise, it was just right. me going somewhere in right. order to do, I'm not really sure what I was really okay. there to do. So if I'm a parent or a, a loved one of an addict or alcoholic, what should I be looking for to see whether or not treatment is going to take with this individual? Let's say you're my son and I somehow talked you into going into treatment and you ended up there and you're kind of woozy, but you're not sure. What should I be looking for as a parent or a loved one with the addict who's in treatment to ensure that it's going to work? I think the conversation needs to be had with the individual. The worst thing I can think of is literally sticking them in the car, shipping them to the actual center or facility and thinking, that's it. Here you go. Here's my son. Here's my daughter. There you go. Deal with them. Take them. Bye bye. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. I think that preparing um, for a rehab is quite important. I think that both parties should know what it entails, what actually goes on, what it will offer, and just every single, that, well, the end goal of this. So what, what, do, what did your parents or your mother say about treatment before you went in? What, what was their take on it? I, I wasn't introduced or given the kind of breakdown of anything, really, what, what treatment was. Uh, what I was going to receive, what it was going to look like. It was very, my, my understanding, I didn't have an understanding of it. I was completely, and remember, the other big aspect of this is that I was uh, under the influence all this time. When treatment was being looked at for me, for myself, suggested to me, I was in active using. I was in, I was in active using. I was, of course, I'm going to say, no, anything that was, would stop me from my using, I would instantly disregard. Okay. So, so what made you say yes? I think over a few conversations when my parents managed to approach me when it was a suitable time, I can say at least, that, that they managed to get me down, speak to me and have me listening, was step one. The, I mean, the other aspect was that I had a few people uh, call me, explain it to me, whether I was listening, so-so. But I myself was completely closed off to it. Now, when it was 
pushed to the point that you're going, you don't really have two ways about this. The one thing that I did have a say in was my parents offered for me to go with them to look at these facilities. Okay. So my mum had one specifically in mind. I went there, had a look around, got introduced to it and uh, saw it for myself to see what it was all about. And that's how it started for me. And then shortly after, two weeks later, I was admitted there for a period of three months. All right. And you Um, stayed three months. I mean, what was it? What was it that made you say yes uh, to going into that particular place? And what conclusions did you draw after you left after, I assume you spent the full three months there, right? I spent three months in the first facility that I went to. I adapted quickly. My reasons for being there and staying there were not because I wanted to stop drinking. Okay. I did not go in there with the intent of stopping drinking. Okay. By no means whatsoever. What was your motive? My motive was, at that time, my motive was to please everyone around me that I was causing so much discomfort to. Okay. I wanted, for the, I, was, I, had, I had enough of that. I, right. I was just giving up the hassle that I was getting, drama I was getting. I wanted that to end, and I thought that I would achieve that by doing this for them. Okay. By no means was it for myself. Okay. And by going into this actual facility, I committed to it. I partook in right. everything that was right. thrown at me. I got quite a lot of responsibility in there as well. But I did not want to stop drinking. So your heart wasn't really in it? Absolutely not. Okay. No way. All right. And then when you left, what happened when you left? <laughs> the celebration or celeb- the celebration of exit, upon exit, <laughs> instantly. Really? Instantly. Right away? Instantly. Literally, okay. the moment I left, as I went to the bus stop, I already orchestrated where I was staying for the next two weeks, and I was going to have a two-week bender at Is my that right? house. Okay. All right. What, 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 was, what was on your menu of, of substances? Was it booze only? Or? <laughs> on the menu. The menu, of course, yeah, it was. Yeah, well. But so shortly upon, well, upon entering the first town, I went into a supermarket. I purchased, I think it was either it was a gin or it was a vodka. And I think it was either tonic. No, I think it was something flat because I wanted to put it, pour it into a plastic bottle <laughs> on my journey to the next village i had a half hour journey and i was i was ready to start so that was yeah less than one hour of exiting the premises i was back on it so even though you participated to the extent that you said you did you really didn't do the work that was was required of you to start your recovery i was convinced well I, i was actually quite um i knew quite well that i had everyone convinced that i had changed Okay. Well, that I was doing the work. I mean, I did do the work that was asked of me. Right. But with recovery, yeah. with rehab, the process of change has to come from within. If sure. the process of change yeah. does not come from within, right. the process of change will not happen. So there was no surrender. There, there was no surrender. There was no acceptance. There was right. there was none of this. There okay. was everything that's in the program. Okay. There was nothing was there for right. me. It was me kidding. Okay. Not only everyone else, but also myself. And I hadn't accepted I had a problem yet. Okay. My plan, my goal, was not how to stop drinking. Right. If there was any plan or goal in there to stop drinking, which there wasn't, but to reduce drinking, yes, I may say that there okay. was. Okay. Right. My plan was to how to drink 
sensibly how okay. to drink like a normal person. I was by no means ready or okay. able to accept that I could not drink again. So you wanted the benefits, but uh, but you didn't want the consequences Correct. either, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so on the theme of it, treatment doesn't work if you don't do the work. Is that that is that that clearly holds up based on what we just talked about, right? I have my very strong beliefs okay. of that yeah. due to being in that position so right. many times. Okay. And and it's not it's not so much if you don't do the work, the program will not work. It's it's about if you do not want this change to happen, okay. if you haven't That's accepted okay. the things that are there in this program, if you do not accept them, you, you it will not happen for you. Okay. It will not happen for right. you. Right. So it's the aspect of surrendering. The aspect of acceptance or accepting the fact that you cannot use right. anymore, that, that you have right. a problem with this, and then working towards the rest of everything, starting from step one, whether it be that you choose to, to follow the 12-step program. Right. It's not going to happen if you don't want it to happen. What role does honesty play in all of this? It is essential. Okay. It is absolutely just imperative. Okay as it contributes in so many ways. The more honest you are with yourself, the more honest you are with everyone else around you, right. the more you're allowing other people to okay. help you. Okay. Because right. uh, other people in recovery, they will, in the rehabs, in recovery, they will understand you as long as you're right. honest with them. Right. And the beauty of these rehab, the beauty of facilities, in my experience as well, is that these people are not judging you. They're not right. there to judge you. Right. They're there to help you no matter right. what. Yeah. And so a big part of it is learning how to trust, right? I mean, up to that point in time, I can only speak for myself, but I didn't trust anybody or anything until I got into treatment. Was yeah. it the same was true for you? Did you? Yes, of course. Right? Of course. I mean, you can't trust anyone who's trying to take away your substance or get rid of your substance. <laughs> That's a point well taken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to uh, to Tony in a minute, uh, and he's going to talk about what it takes to uh, to live a clean and sober, joyful, productive uh, life. I want to talk about opioids uh, next um, because this is a huge problem in the United States, and I want to talk about um, what happens to people who may never have become addicts were it not for being prescribed opiates for the treatment of post-surgical pain. Uh, this is how the lucky ones get to the point of needing treatment. What I'm saying here is, let's say that if you never needed, if you never had surgery and you never needed opioids for treating pain, you might not have ever become an addict uh, except for that situation. The lucky ones I'm talking about make it into treatment or they have someone they know in a 12-step fellowship introduce them to recovery one way or another. Example, if you have a genetic predisposition to addiction, as many who never become addicts have, you have a better than one in 10 chance of becoming addicted to opioids that were initially prescribed for post-surgical pain. When that happens, it creates hundreds of thousands of new addicts who might otherwise have escaped the jaws of addiction entirely. That fact is right in the data from the NIH, the National Institutes of Health in the U.S., some so-called patients stretch the post-surgical pain period to complain of back pain after surgery, then decide to switch from the surgeon to the primary care doc so that she would prescribe an opioid as a maintenance drug. 
Then also get some muscle relaxants into the mix, stronger and stronger opioids like Oxycontin or Vicodin. Even though they might have started with tramadol, then that's not enough, and they start crushing and snorting oxys for a more intense high. Then they go on to heroin, which is cheaper than oxys, believe it or not, and now may be laced with fentanyl, 100 times more powerful and way more deadly than heroin itself. All of this is taking place right under the noses of the loving but now worried family. It's amazing how much addicts can hide because they're such good liars. And I'm going to ask Tony, uh, looking back with all due respect to your family now, how much were you able to hide your uh, drug and alcohol use at first? At first, I was able to hide most of what I was doing. Not everyone was aware. But I think as the addiction progressed, as there was a progression in my addiction, the things that I started doing, I mean, couldn't avo- I, couldn't, I could not avoid being noticed there, right. there were things unfortunately that I couldn't hide anymore I simply right. could not hide but it's only due to the progression that this happened and how it escalated I wasn't able to hide everything so you were in university and you did graduate right so you were in school you you were not in your hometown though you were in another place another location yeah just shy of an hour away okay so far enough right mm. During this time, did your parents or other people close to you notice that you were abusing alcohol? When they came to visit, sure, they saw this proudly presented shrine of empty vodka bottles, whiskey bottles, rum bottles, lit up <laughs> by a blue neon clock. As if to... <laughs> but you couldn't hide it for long, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, my behaviors at that point weren't too abnormal. Okay. It, everything still seemed to be okay right, or right, right. Right. If anything, perhaps there was a bit of concern that, oh, you might drink a lot or you're a bit of a heavy drinker. But due to my life still being... Sort of okay. Sort of okay, still together. Still yeah, having yeah, yeah, yeah. My stuff still together. Still going to school. And it all seemed that. to be... or well, it was accepted. Okay. It was accepted. And okay. the, the truth behind the progression of the actual illness itself was still... a it wasn't it was not clear okay so so you what we've heard others talk about is uh, an example um my wife knew that i drank but she didn't know how much i drank right uh my wife knew that i smoked pot but she didn't know that i was stoned every night right and and drunk every night yeah so was it one of those cases where they kind of knew that you were drinking and doing stuff, but they didn't know the full extent of it? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. They, okay. My parents knew I drank. My friends knew I drank. Right. My friends knew a bit more, you know, that I right. smoked weed, that I took coke, that I experimented with a few other social drugs as such. Right. But there wasn't any concern revolved around really? my using. Okay. Or... When did it become a concern? Concern? When did it become a concern? For, for your parents and for you. You can go both... You can talk about both of them with the progression of my illness my behavior changed drastically okay uh, now what was going on for me was i was drinking for a different or a different reason i was no longer drinking on certain emotion i was drinking on all emotions okay there was a few few things that led up to this change right heartbreak i don't know distrust um, anger disappointment so you would drink to stuff any of these major feelings yeah, right? yeah. just to push them down yeah. okay so yeah. the audience knows what mm-hmm. what that means right mm-hmm. 
where did we leave off? We're talking about when it became a problem in your eyes and when did it become a problem in your parents' eyes, right? In my opinion, it never was a problem until I literally had been in and out of rehab several times. <laughs> in uh, my parents' opinion, I think that the, the problem was became clear or became apparent when they saw that the actual extent of how much I'm actually drinking. Okay. When they Back spent a bit more time with me and they yeah. realized, hang on, he's really going for yeah. it. He's yeah. drinking 24-7. Yeah. Okay. When okay. they noticed I was drinking in the mornings, things like that, they straight away registered. Okay. Although it's also fair to say that by speaking to me on the phone, they right. picked up that I was changing. Okay. I was not the same person as okay. I knew okay. a week in, ago. In what way ago, were you changing in their eyes? What, what was happening? It wasn't the the son that they knew. Okay. There was too there was there's too many factors there, but okay. they're very clear that were not me. It was okay. not me. Small okay. things were slipping away. Normal behaviours were going. Okay. It's as if they were speaking to a completely different person. Okay. Right. They weren't speaking to the same person. Okay. They knew. So you right. became a stranger to your parents. I did slightly. Yeah. However, they recognised that instantly. Right. I say, what's wrong? What's up? Why are you doing this? And do they suspect? Do they have an idea as to what was behind all this? Not really. Not really. Okay. Because this is very important to our overall podcast. Yeah. Is like yeah. the face that we put on to others, how we inadvertently and not perhaps consciously lie mm. to ourselves and to others. Mm. What I'm hearing you say is that very consistent with what we've heard others talk about, which is you start to slip away from the person that you were. And um, you yourself, I know I can speak for myself. I didn't know why this was happening. I had no clue. I would wake up, you know, in the morning and cry my eyes out thinking, what's happened to my mother's golden boy? Stuff like yeah. that. Did you go through those same sorts of sure. things? Sure. And my parents, they had their suspicions, right? right? As parents do, obviously they do. But they weren't entirely certain. So as soon as those suspicions were confirmed by... The evidence. Literally witnessing it, okay. whether it be themselves or... Okay from hearing it through perhaps some of my friends or associates or people that I was surrounded in who also perhaps showed their concerns, who knew more as to oh, where I yeah, was at, sure, yeah. then they jumped onto it straight away. And then after they, their suspicions were confirmed, they pointed their fingers directly at that. Then it was solely, everything was a revolt. This is why, this is why. They were aware then that all Did of this was happening due to my substance abuse. Did they take it as an addiction or did they take it as a moral failure on your part? How do they, how do they quote, judge it or label it? At that point, I don't know how they took it. I only okay. saw it as an obstacle in my use. Yeah, I got it, of course. Um, whereas I that's, think that's... looking back at it, they try to understand it as an addiction. Whether they still understand it the same way that I understand it no, now, right. perhaps is slightly different. Okay. But did they except that it was addiction, yes, by all okay. means. Well, the, the evidence there is that they tried over and over to get you yeah. into treatment. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. My yeah. parents, by no means did they give up. They tried right. everything. Wow. Well, um, examples, uh, in this case, Tony's case, but, you know, stories that are vitally instructive because they show that even among affluent and educated families as Tony's is, the insidious nature of addiction can work its way in, shattering the peaceful balance of healthy family life. That's why I love the Shatterproof organization. What it is trying, what it is trying to do, is to transform addiction treatment 
by educating and galvanizing the public, thereby affecting the passage of new legislation that affects this issue at the national and local level. If you visit shatterproof.org, just like it sounds, and see how you can, yes, you can make a difference in the current environment that is still rich in misinformation and myth. So what we're trying to do, bottom line, is to help families help their loved one, addict, or alcoholic see a counselor, tell the truth for once, and or get their loved one into a qualified treatment program anywhere. If not with us, then anywhere where they can be properly assessed, taken through the right detox process, including meds if called for, and provide the professional counseling, including group and one-on-ones, to address addiction as the primary disorder. That's why we at Safe House Rehab Thailand we want to help you to make an informed decision about addiction in these modern times when there are so many more options for types of drugs on the one hand and treatment options on the other. We stand ready to answer any, we mean any question you could possibly have about your loved one's situation and the options open to you. So just contact us at info at safehouserehab.com or visit safehouserehab.com and if you like, call the number that's associated with the country you're calling from. It's a local call for you, simple, friendly call. We at Safe House Rehab Thailand offer a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. We also offer a $1,000 airfare allowance to take you that much closer to the treatment you and your loved one deserve. So uh, I'm going to go back to Tony and ask Tony, if see if you agree with me that there are three aspects, major aspects to recovery from drug or alcohol abuse. Uh, one is, the first is the throwing in the towel part, the accepting of help, the feeling the heat, the desperation, the surrender of my old ways of thinking. Okay, this is the part where I stop using, at least for a while. The second is the beginning of transformation. This happens in the treatment or, if not in treatment, in a recovery setting, like lots of 12-step meetings. I want to take you guys through about the treatment part now, and I want you to comment on the following tips that Shatterproof suggests if you want to get the most out of treatment. So here they are. And again, Tony, weigh in uh, where you see fit. So the first one is be fully present. Get your head in the game. So do this one day, one moment at a time. Yeah. The next one is be open. Be ready to leave your old ideas behind. Remember your best thinking got you here. Yeah. A third one is creating a safety plan. Identify your triggers and find a way to avoid or neutralize them. A trigger might be an emotion, like a resentment, time of day, conversation, a person that you talk to on the phone. Is that making sense to you? Yeah, sure. So far, yeah. Okay. The next one is encourage your friends and family to participate. There's nothing like the emotional support you get from your loved ones. You don't feel alone and isolated anymore, and I'm, I'm sure that probably made a difference to you when you went into treatment, right? Yeah. So then letting go of your old self-concept. You might have a low opinion of yourself based on the mistaken belief that you had weak willpower. You start thinking of yourself as having a disorder that you're now addressing. And finally, celebrating success, even if they're small, like seven days clean and sober, completing an assignment, etc. So what would you have to add to that? Or are there any comments that, uh, you know, the audience would benefit from? I agree with the points you just made and I would add that it's the first bit is the most important thing is that is that asking for help or just accepting that you need help because as soon as you do so you're you're surprised as to the response that you get when you put your hands out and you say look I need help 
when that help, asking for that help, comes from you, from within, and you really mean it, when right. you really truly yeah. mean it, yeah. you dedicate a lot of yourself more to that. And okay. as long as you walk in there, open-minded, right. you know, willing, yeah. Yeah. then the possibilities become endless. Okay. It is just a never-ending roller coaster of help that can come your way. Okay. I wouldn't overthink it too much further. Okay. I feel that it's just baby steps, baby okay. steps. Everything yeah. comes with time. You're introduced to everything. You get a grasp of the basics before you kind of start moving sure. on. And it's not rocket science. Right. It really isn't. So there is a danger to overthinking all of this too. Of course. And that is a massive, massive part that I see yeah. on a day-to-day yeah. -day yeah. basis right. with addict thinking. Sure. The stinking thinking, yeah. as we call it. And the projection into the future. Of course. Of that stuff. Yeah. Wanting results instantly. Wanting everything now, 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 and now. And fearing everything, and right? And fearing of, everything, right, of course. Right, right. Catastrophizing, overthinking, yeah, whichever way you want. That's a great word, catastrophizing. And procrastinating, too. <laughs> it doesn't have to be so complicated. You keep uh, no, it. Right. It doesn't have to keep it in the month. Don't keep it in the week. Don't yes, keep it, it in the day. Just keep it even in the, the hour, like, in the like minute. Now. Yeah. Okay, so that was the first and second part. Now into the third part of recovery, which is the hard part because it requires lifelong dedication. Since we all agree, once an addict, always an addict or alcoholic, as there is no cure, only the arresting of a progressive disease, and the recovery of the brain to something approaching normal functioning. But here's something that a lot of people do not understand. Alcoholics and addicts stop growing emotionally and spiritually once they become addicted. They lived lives of infantile self-gratification, and they never learned anything about responsibility or caring for others. And I'm not projecting out. This is me to a T. This is what AA says. Putting the plug in the jug solves only 10% of the problem. It is just the beginning of long-term character development, of growing up and becoming accountable, honest, and caring people. So you recover some of your brain function, but you also learn entirely new things that you never knew or practiced before. That's why the term recovery doesn't quite tell the whole story. The secret to long-term clean and sober and joyful living is in the ongoing practice of what we believe, which is prayer and meditation, abstinence from all mind-altering substances, dedication to kindness, honesty, giving back, good self-care, and continued growth as authentic and loving people. So I'm going to ask Tony directly, how do you work your program? What keeps you on the broad highway of recovery and also unleashes your creativity and your inspiration? I'm quite involved in recovery in the sense that, of course, I'm helping and working here at a rehab clinic itself. I follow my program. I follow the 12-step program. I have a sponsor. I go to meetings. I have sponsees. And I did service for a year. I did everything that was suggested. I've done different areas of everything. I've taken what I can from it and I try to practice as much as I can from it in my everyday life. What were some of the preconceptions that you had going in that had been totally reversed uh, once you started practicing the principles? I, I was anti-everything, all right. of it, okay. any of it. All right. Every single aspect I was against and uninterested, okay. to say the least. So you resisted, you were defiant, uh, you went from there to, to, to where. Let, let me give you an example of what, I, what, I, what happened to me, just personal. 
I never thought that there would be liberation from discipline. I never thought that by living a discipline, a, you know, a rigorous disciplined life, I would be liberated, right? I never thought that I would have victory in surrender. You know, these are contradictions that I never considered. Uh, what are some of the contradictions that you experienced when, versus, you know, what you were thinking before you went in, your worldview, if you will, right? And your worldview once you started to recover. So before I went in, I didn't envision or think it was possible to enjoy life or have a life without alcohol okay. being present. There you go. There you go. As an example. Yeah, as an example. What I've learned through recovery and the process and the biggest change for me is this. I had to see it for myself. Right. I had to witness it. I had to feel it. And I had to, as I'm trying to say, see it for myself. Right. I had to learn, unfortunately, the hard way. But as soon as I began feeling the freedom and the happiness that I did whilst being freed from the grasp of addiction. Okay. And working it, living it, really right. feeling it. I okay. like what I felt. You know, I okay. really took a liking to right. it. I wanted more. Okay. And it's only with time and work, having had worked on myself, that I've made recovery easier for myself. Right. I've, and I'm now benefiting of what I feel everyone should benefit from, which is the joy of life. When you said... I think you said I did it the hard way. I oh, you said I learned this the hard way. What what did you mean when you said I learned this the hard way? I didn't get recovery first time round. I didn't go to just one rehab. I went to one, two, three, four, five different rehabs. Okay. My my thinking was still in its old ways. It right. took a long time. Right. A lot of you could say investment from right. different sure. individuals yeah. in my recovery. Yeah. A lot of I had to fall down. I had to. Have Okay. hit rock bottom okay. i had more than once several right? times in different ways in order right. for it to sink in to me right. i was a stubborn individual who i i actually called myself an unteachable addict on numerous occasions and after okay. several times really i thought i was unteachable yeah. i thought i was yeah. un i could not change right. well that's that's the one of the shifts that we, we were talking about is from being unteachable to being teachable from sure. being arrogant yeah. to being humble from being dishonest to being honest, you know, from being unkind, if yeah. you will, or heedless to the consequences, yeah. like uh, my parents suffered from my addiction, as mm -hmm. did yours, to being, you know, have a person with empathy. So mm -hmm. you want to talk about some of those shifts, uh, you know, where you, where you saw the world one way, or you were one way. I'll give you an example. I, I had so much contempt for others, right? and including myself, that it took a while for the contempt to, as I say, to bleed out of my system. I was just loaded with, with, with hatred when I came in, you know. Do you want to talk about some of those other things that happened to you? I think everything was completely and utterly polluted okay. by the addiction. There, okay. there were plenty of things in there that, that I believe look, triggered me or was were the cause, the lead up to my actual you know, downfall, the, the, the tipping point of my downfall. Okay. They, however, they all lead back to feelings. Yeah, okay. At, at, in the, right. at the bottom line, they all resign from feelings, the way okay. that I was feeling. I didn't like the way that I felt. I reacted in a certain way. I found a solution in the substance, in the alcohol, in the chemical. But I made my response to any of these feelings the chemical. My solution to my response was, 
I'm going to pick that up. I'm going to drink that. Okay. I'm going to use that. All right. That was a solution for me in everything. Right. And my entire thinking, which as far as I remembered, used to be okay and quite right. normal, yeah. was completely polluted. Okay. It was fogged over right. by just yeah. a load of just nonsense, right. just rubbish. So it and was it, incorrect thinking. It was completely wrong. Okay. And it's, <laughs> I couldn't believe, looking back, it's like I can't believe the stage that I got myself to. How did I end up in a position right. like that? What happened? What on earth happened along the way for me to be what stuck happened? in a position like that? It was the addiction. It was all the addiction. Well, so what Tony's talking about is, in fact, continued growth as authentic and loving people, people who have real feelings who are not afraid of their feelings and don't, do use, don't use drugs or alcohol to mask them. These principles are all contained in the 12 steps. And what's brilliant about AA is that it is a huge tent. And the co-founder, Bill Wilson, also claims that we in AA do not have all the answers. That there are other ways that people do get and stay sober, and you're welcome to try them. All we can do here today is to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what life is like today as a result of our acceptance of some simple principles of growth. You might hear some crazy things about AA, but if you visit AA.org and check out the fact that there are 2 million members worldwide and AA is a registered 501c3 corporation, not-for-profit, with open books and a head office in New York where we are, were first located back in 1935, that should make you feel better about this amazing fellowship who has done so much for so many suffering people. So what have we learned in this episode? One, my guest Tony and I bust the myth that some people believe in. That is that treatment doesn't work. That is true if you don't do the work and if you aren't honest with yourself and you aren't willing to surrender your old ways of thinking. Two, many affluent, educated people end up addicted to opioids who might not have otherwise become addicted were it not for being prescribed opioid painkillers post-surgery. The odds are better than 1 in 10 patients will become addicted and even higher if they are genetically predisposed to addiction. Three, families can educate themselves on ways to help arrest and treat addiction and how they can join a community of caring people who want to help our society and support each other in the campaign against opioid abuse. Just visit shatterproof.org to learn more. Four, an addict seeking recovery will get the most out of treatment by throwing himself fully into the process one day at a time. Five, Long-term recovery is less about recovering normal brain function and more about learning things the addicts never learned while living in a self-imposed closed system. Addicts need to outgrow their self-centeredness in order to become responsible, caring, and authentic human beings. And finally, six, one more shout-out to the miracles that happen in AA and an invitation to contact us at info at safehouserehab.com or to visit us at safehouserehab.com where we stand by. 24-7 to help families who are desperate for answers. Recovery doesn't happen overnight, right. but is it possible? Absolutely, 100%, yes. The Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surrounded podcast is brought to you by the caring professionals at Safe House Rehab Thailand, who offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Just ask us any question, we mean any question, at info at safehouserehab.com. And we may use it on the air with your permission, of course, or visit us at safehouserehab.com. 
We want to help you make an informed decision for yourself and your loved one at this very important time in your family's life. So tune in next week for the next episode of Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. And we'll see you next time.